Our culture is obsessed with personal growth, you know? I mean, the examples are everywhere. You can go online and find a million personal growth books, seminars, or coaches that promise to help you become the very best version of you. Gyms fill their locations with motivational quotes and pictures of finely tuned bodies to show us that with the proper workout routine and maximum effort on our part, we too can look like that. We watch motivational videos on YouTube that remind us that we can be more, we can work harder, we can accomplish more, we can overcome obstacles. The message of our culture for all of us is we can all grow. But what does it mean to grow? I looked up the definition for the word grow and I found it fascinating. To grow is a verb. It's it's an action word. And what it means is to become gradually and increasingly. So growth is the process of becoming something. For Christians, specifically, to grow means to increase our knowledge of Jesus and to gradually become more like him. He is what we're trying to be. Peter, Jesus' close friend and follower, said it this way, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this expectation Right Throughout the Bible, that if we're going to follow Christ, we have to grow more like Him. It's a process that takes time. It takes effort and change. None of it happens instantly. And it doesn't happen by accident. One of the most insidious things about the personal growth culture in America is that, is that, that it has the tendency of trying to sell us on the idea that the personal growth that we want to experience can happen quickly. We all want to become, right, a more fit person. We all want to become a more happy self, the best version of myself, a more wealthy person, whatever it may be. We all want to become, but we tend to want to become instantaneously and completely rather than gradually and increasingly. The problem is it just doesn't work that way. It definitely doesn't work that way in the process of spiritual growth. So this morning, we're entering into a five-week lesson series called Fully Functioning Followers Grow. And in this series, we're going to deal with the reality that for us to follow Jesus, we have to have an intentional plan for spiritual growth. We must put in daily effort to practice being like Jesus so that we can gradually and increasingly display His character. Now, over the centuries, Christians, people who follow Jesus, have engaged in a number of important spiritual disciplines, which are intentional practices that are designed to put us in the presence of God and help us to become more like Jesus, like Him in what we say, like Him in what we do, like Him in how we think. Christians use these disciplines, if you will, to grow and develop as followers of Jesus. And over the five weeks of June, we're going to examine four of them. Prayer for two weeks, and then confession, fasting, and rest. 
Now, if you're a Christian in the room today, I believe that this series is going to be of immense help for you. The reason is simple. During this series, we're going to give you some incredibly practical and actionable tools that you can use to begin the long, slow process of spiritual growth. But if you're not a Christian in the room today, I especially want to say something to you. I think that you're going to see in this series something that's incredibly helpful to you as well. The disciplines that we're going to discuss in this series, if you practice them honestly, and if you give yourself to them fully, will give you an opportunity to actually test and see if there is, in fact, a God. That may be surprising to you, but here's the deal. If you're not sure that that you believe, but you're open to it, Practicing these spiritual disciplines with some consistency over time will help you test and see if what the Bible says is actually true. It'll give you a chance to see if God truly will act in your life. Now, for this series, we're using 1 Timothy 4.15 as our focus verse. It's coming up on the screens. I want us all to recite this together. Here we go. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You see, Paul is telling his young friend Timothy that growth in the Christian life requires intentional, disciplined action. So let's get rolling this morning by digging into the first of two weeks on prayer. Now, last fall, we did a survey with all of you who called G&G your church home, and we asked you this question, right? What makes me question God? That was one of the questions on the survey, and we asked you guys, what is it that makes you question God? And as we reviewed all the responses, and we got hundreds of them back, hundreds, a theme began to emerge, right? It sounded a little something like this unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers make me question God. When I, when I pray something and I don't feel like I'm getting an answer, that makes me question God. Someone else said it this way, does, does God actually hear my prayers? Like, can I actually know and believe that he hears them? Am I just, just kind of throwing my words at the ceiling? What's going on here? I question God because I, I'm not sure that he actually hears me when I pray. Another person put it this way, Well, sometimes I think God answers some of my prayers, but then there's others that he just seems to ignore. What what do I do when God seems to answer some of my prayers and not others? A number of people on the survey indicated that they don't build any regular prayer time into their lives, even though they're followers of Christ. Simply put, it was obvious to us as, as a programming team that there are a lot of questions out here about prayer. And as we looked at the survey, we felt like it was critical for us to take a couple of weeks to really dive into the subject of prayer, what it is, why we do it, how to do it, and what we should reasonably expect from it. So let's begin this morning by agreeing upon a working definition of prayer, right? So a working definition of prayer for us this morning, it goes like this. Prayer is communication to and from God. 
Prayer is communication to and from God. In short, prayer is any kind of communication that you and I have with God. Now, most of us are probably really familiar with the idea of communication to God, right? You've all heard somebody pray. If you've been in the service this morning, you've already heard somebody pray to God, right? Many of us, however, are less familiar with the idea of God communicating back to us through prayer. So, so I, I want to break up these two weeks on prayer a little bit. And so this, this week, today, we're going to focus a, a lot of attention on how we pray to God. And next week, Wayne's going to be here teaching, and he's going to, to kind of guide us into some aspects of prayer that, that have the possibility of showing us a little bit of how God speaks back to us through prayer. So let's dive in this morning into Jesus' teaching on prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, arguably Jesus' most famous sermon, he devoted a whole section to the subject of how to pray to God. Many of us know it as the Lord's Prayer. Some of you probably have this prayer memorized, and the rest of you have have likely either heard it recited or maybe recited it yourself. Jesus began this prayer, however. He began this prayer very simply. He said this. He said, this, then, is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. And what I want us all to see before we actually dive into what we know is the Lord's Prayer, what I want us all to see this morning is that Jesus is not just giving us some perfect, singular prayer that we should pray and recite and, 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 and memorize. Even though reciting it and memorizing it isn't bad, right? he's not just giving us this one prayer as the perfect ideal prayer. What in fact Jesus is doing is he's showing us several different types of prayers that we should be praying. And what we'll see this morning is that if you and I pray these different types of prayers with consistency, we will have a well-rounded and effective prayer life that turns us into the kinds of people that Christ is calling us to be. Now, that's a tall order, but I think we can do it this morning. So here's what I want to do. We're going to recite the Lord's Prayer all together. It's going to come up on the screens. All right, here we go. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the very beginning of that prayer. Jesus does something very intentionally. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He begins the prayer first by saying, our Father. He he is addressing God. The first thing he does in prayer is to come to God and acknowledge God as the creator of all Life as the sustainer of all life. He says, our Father, without him, Jesus is acknowledging this. And remember, Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. So he's teaching us, right? He's saying, when we enter into prayer, we should begin with the recognition of who we're talking to. Our Father, God, 
is the maker of all life. Our Father in heaven. Our Father is in heaven. He is not contained by this physical universe because He created it. He is outside of it. He is above it. He is all around it. He exists outside of the boundaries of space and time. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is is kind of an old word. Most of us don't use it anymore, but it's simply a word that means honored or praised. So as he begins this prayer, Jesus is effectively saying, God, you are the creator of everything. You deserve to be praised. So the first prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray, or the first type of prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray, are prayers of praise. He's teaching us how to pray prayers of praise. And guys, here's the point. As you and I begin to pray, it's critical for us to remember who we're praying to. We aren't just praying to ourselves, okay? And we're not just praying to a God who is is desperately waiting for somebody to talk to, right? right? This is the God of the universe. This is the God who made everything. He is the God that without whom we never would have existed. He is the God that the Bible says exists in eternal community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one, all together, all in perfect harmony and communication at all times. So do you think He actually needs us? No. This is the all-powerful, almighty God. I just want to ask you a question. When you pray, do you stop to think about who you're praying to? Do you remember to praise God when you open your mouth in prayer? Do you remember to thank Him for the fact that He even listens to you? And the Bible is clear, He listens. Do you remember to thank Him for who He is? Do you remember how glorious and powerful and awesome God is when you start to pray? The Apostle John in the book of Revelation got a glimpse of our Father in heaven. Okay? Let's let's look at what he saw. Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. If you're doing the math at home, that equals over 100 million angels worshiping God. Can you imagine this scene? Imagine this. 100 million angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Can you imagine this scene? 100 million angels all at the same time saying this out loud. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea. All right, so this is now every, everything that's ever been made. All things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Can you wrap your mind around the fact that right now, in heaven, there are a hundred million angels or more constantly, entirely, full self thrown at it, worshiping God. And somehow, in the midst of all of this, God promises that he can still hear you. The cacophony of like heavenly praise is going on and he can still hear you. He still wants to listen to you. Make no mistake when you enter into prayer. This is a powerful and awesome and mighty being to whom you are speaking. Jesus began this prayer to prove a point. When we enter into prayer, we ought to enter it with some reverence and gratitude for the God who is currently being worshipped by hundreds of millions of angels and yet will still listen to you. And I think the point here is this. When you and I pray prayers of praise, we become worshipers. Now, worshipers is not a word that uh, many, many people use, but it, it's just simply the idea we become people who recognize God for who he is and worship him and, and praise him and thank him. That's what it means. And so when you and I consistently and earnestly and honestly pray prayers where we recognize the glory and the awesomeness and the power of God, we become people who worship And the Bible is clear, God wants us to worship him in prayer. He wants us to acknowledge his goodness and glory. He wants us to come before him with gratitude for who he is. And Jesus shows us how. Guys, when you pray, remember who you're praying to. And you will enter into prayer with an attitude of worship. This is the kind of prayer God desires. But Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on. He says, your kingdom come. Circle that word, your. Your kingdom come, your, circle that word, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus is teaching us to pray that God's will is done, not ours. Jesus says, this is how you should pray, all right? And so he says, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. So he is teaching us that he wants us to pray the kinds of prayers where we say, God, we want your will to be done and not ours. And he acknowledges that in heaven, he says, our our Father in heaven, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he acknowledges that in heaven, God's will is always done. However, here on earth... Those of us that are human beings, we, we kind of want our will to be done. And so we try to wrestle with God and we try to do our own thing and we try to make it happen our own way. Jesus is teaching us to be the kind of people who pray prayers of submission. Prayers of submission. Do you ever pray like that? Think about yourself. Do you ever pray, do you ever pray like that? 
Do you ever pray prayers that sound like, God, I know what I want to happen in this situation. I know what I want to happen at my work. I know what I want to happen with my kids. I know what I want to happen with my boss. I know what I want to happen with my mom's cancer diagnosis. But you know what? Please make your will be done. Do you ever pray that? Do you pray prayers that ask God to do His will instead of yours? Why did Jesus ask us to pray this? Why did He teach us to pray like this? I think it's because prayers of submission make us humble servants. You see, when you and I pray prayers of submission and we pray them consistently and we pray them honestly, we become the kind of people who want God's will to be done, not ours. And when we pray these kinds of prayers, we recognize the reality that we don't see everything that God sees. I mean, think about it. When you pray for something that you want, there is no way that you can see all of the potential impact that God saying yes to that decision will have on you and other people. You have no idea what him saying yes to this one particular request that you have could have on not only you and your family, but on somebody else on the other side of the globe. You have no way to see around all those corners. But God, because he sees everything from the beginning to the end all at once, everything is present to him. He is not bound by time like you and I. So he can see the impact of him saying yes to your prayer. He can see the impact of him saying no to your prayer. You see, guys, we don't know all the ins and outs of the universe. And so when we pray prayers of submission, what we are in effect saying is, I trust you. I trust you. 1 Peter 5, 6, Peter says this, Humble yourselves, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You see, prayers of submission make us more like Jesus. No? Jesus, the man who on the night before he died prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. The singular event in all of Christian history and the the basis for the salvation of every single person who has ever come to faith in Christ is Jesus' death on the cross. And it only happened because Jesus prayed a prayer of submission. We can all thank God for the fact that Jesus not only taught us to pray, but himself prayed a prayer of submission. But Jesus also teaches about a third type of prayer. He says this, give us today our daily bread. I want you to notice a couple things. Circle the words us and our. Circle the words us and our. Us and our are plural words. Plural words. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus, in effect, is teaching us to pray not only for ourselves but for others. And and two, let's look at what he says. He says, give us today our daily bread. Now the phrase daily bread indicates not only the food we eat, which Jesus is certainly teaching us to be grateful for and to pray prayers of gratitude for. There is no question. 
But on a larger scale, he is encouraging us to pray for our needs. Pray for our needs as well as the needs of others. These kinds of prayers are known as prayers of need and prayers of intercession. Now, that word intercession is probably unfamiliar to some of you. Um, You've all heard the word intercede, right? You step in on somebody else's behalf, right? This is when you do that in prayer. Intercession is when you pray for somebody else. And and prayers of need, here's what I want you to think about. Prayers of need are simply prayers for yourself, Prayers that you pray when you need God to do something in your life or provide something for you. Intercession is when you turn around and pray those same kinds of prayers on behalf of somebody else. And the Bible encourages this. It encourages it. it, it I mean, it indicates that God wants us to pray for ourselves and others. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says this, And pray in the Spirit on, circle the word, all Occasions. With all, circle that word, all kinds of prayers and requests. Here's the point. What kinds of things does God want you to pray about? All things. At what time does God want you to pray about all those things? At all times. Everything. Your job, your house, your kids, your day, your love life, your big decisions, your diagnosis. He wants you to pray about everything. He wants you to bring everything about yourself to Him. Now, recently, I, I mean, obviously you guys know I meet with a lot of people and I spend time with a lot of people around here at G&G, and I have noticed this really distressing trend. At least two or three times in the last six months alone, okay, I've had conversations with Christians, some of them longtime Christians, and they said something like this. Well, I, I never really ask God for anything for myself. I never, really, I never really pray about myself. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, then what on earth do you pray about? I don't, I don't pray about myself. Why not? I just want to say something. If, if that's you in the audience today, if you're a person that struggles to pray for yourself, here's what I, I just want to say something to you. Start praying for yourself. Now. Please do yourself the favor. God wants to hear from you about you. Okay? Let me clear this right up. He, you do not need to act like you, I don't need to pray for myself. Yeah, you do. All of you, trust me. Pray for yourself. He wants to have you bring him your hurts and struggles and disappointments. He wants to know what's bothering you, what you need, and what you'd like to have happen. He wants to know that stuff. And, and, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. But he also wants to spend time telling you what he thinks about those same things. Listen, guys, if you can't pray for yourself, you are missing out on the best relationship you can have with God. And I would go so far as to argue that if you can't pray for yourself, then you probably can't or don't very well pray for others. Now, why would I say that? Because I don't think that if you... I struggle to believe that if you can't talk to God about the deep things that are going on in your own heart and life, 
I just think the odds are bad that you're going to be able to devote consistent, loving, selfless prayer on behalf of somebody else. I just really struggle to believe that. If you can't pray for yourself, I think you're going to struggle to honestly and earnestly pray for somebody else. And that's what intercession is. That's what it means to intercede in prayer on behalf of somebody else. It's, it's loving them enough to bring their concerns before God. These look like prayers for your family members, prayers for your friend's cancer, prayers for missionaries out there in the world trying to serve Christ. Prayers for intercession can be prayers for your church family. Look back at the passage. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, Paul says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Right, circle the phrase, all the Lord's people. You should be praying for those who share your faith. Now, of course, you should pray for people outside of the faith. That's, that's, that's necessary, and it's part of the evangelism process. But, but thinking about our church family specifically, G&G specifically, you can do intercessory prayer for the people in your ministry. You can do intercessory prayer for the staff and leaders here. Trust me, I would appreciate the heck out of it. Right? I need all the help I can get. You can even do intercessory prayer for the major G&G goals that we have set for this year. For, for those of you that were at Vision Night, you remember back in January, Dad announced that one of our goals for this year as a church was to have 684 first-time guests that filled out a communication card and let us know they were here. Right? <clears throat> now, uh, <clears throat> um, we, we picked that number because last year we averaged 684 people. So if everyone that comes to G&G would go out and find one person to bring to G&G with them and, and have them do the communication cards, and we would achieve our goal, right? If everyone brought one, we would meet our goal. Right? So far this year, we've had 146 first-time guests. Now, we're better than we were at this point last year, but we are not on pace to hit that goal, right? You could pray for that. You could pray that God would help us to be an inviting church, the kind of people that would go out and invite. Uh, I mean, you could pray that God would bring people into your path that you can invite. You could pick up a prayer list out in the atrium and pray for all of the people on that. That is intercessory prayer. You're interceding on behalf of others in the family. The point is that prayers of need and intercession are important because prayers of need and intercession indicate our dependence. Think about it. When you pray a prayer asking God to do something in your life, you are automatically acknowledging your need for God to act on your behalf because you can't make it happen on your own. Do you see that? When you pray that kind of prayer consistently and honestly, you become the kind of person who recognizes that pretty much all of life is dependent upon God, and you pretty much need Him for everything. When you pray such prayers, you recognize that you depend upon God, and He wants us to depend upon Him. Jesus teaches us about a fourth kind of prayer. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, despite the financial connotation of the term debt, what Jesus actually has in mind here is our sin. Right? When you and I sin, right, when we choose something that is not God as the most important thing in our life, we create a situation in which we are indebted to God because we have wronged Him. Right, when you do that which is wrong and you choose something else above God, you have wronged Him because He is your Creator and He deserves your praise. And when you give it to something else, you've, you've come into a situation where you are indebted to Him. Same thing is true when others sin against us, right? They have done something against us. They have harmed us. They have mistreated us. And so, and so we, have, we have a situation in which they're indebted to us. And so here, Jesus is encouraging us to pray prayers of confession and forgiveness. Prayers of confession and prayers of forgiveness. Now, confession um, is simply this, speaking honestly to God about the sins we have committed and asking for his forgiveness. It's the kind of prayer where we just get in front of God and say, God, yeah, I blew that one. I messed that one up. I said that mean thing. I had that lustful thought. I lied to that person. I stole that thing. I took that drug. Confession is when we get real with God and recognize that what we've done is not only wrong, but that we truly are responsible for it. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you pray prayers like that? Do you stop and go, God, yeah, I know I messed that one up. About the little things. I'm not talking about when you, when you blew up your marriage. I'm talking about, like, do you stop and say, God, I'm sorry I lied. I lied to that person. They asked me how I was doing. I said fine, and that is completely untrue. Do you, do you acknowledge that before God? Do you stop to ask him for forgiveness? I mean, really? Do you, do you stop to identify that thing specifically and then say, I'm really sorry for that. I shouldn't have done that. I really feel bad about that, God, and I really want to change. Will you please help me? That that is confession. Now, we're going to talk in great detail about confession in a couple of weeks, and I'm really excited about that lesson, and I hope you're here for that. But Jesus is telling us that God wants us to bring him the truth about what we've done wrong. One of the sad things that came back on the survey was, was that this actually showed up multiple times. So this is not one isolated incident. I just chose one, one person's like version of it, okay? But on the survey, at least, at least two people in specific indicated that they felt like their sins made it impossible to speak to God. One person wrote this. They said, um, I stop praying when I sin because I feel defeated. I feel like I'm letting God down. So I, so I quit talking to him. Listen, I get it, right? Sin has the tendency to make us want to isolate and go in, in the opposite direction of anybody who, who could know, right? But that's exactly what God doesn't want. 
He doesn't want you to sit there with your sin and act as if you can't talk to him about it. I mean, for heaven's sakes, it's not like he doesn't know. (laughs) Right? There's a powerful change that becomes possible when you and I honestly speak to God about individual sins. But look at that passage again. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. In other words, Jesus is teaching us to pray prayers of forgiveness for those who have hurt us. And the implication here is that we will be forgiven at the level that we are willing to forgive. I'm going to say that again. You might want to write that down. We will be forgiven at the level that we are willing to forgive. There's an interesting passage just two verses after this, right? Jesus has wrapped up the Lord's Prayer, and he says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Withholding forgiveness from others violates the very command of Christ and is in itself deeply arrogant. Why do I say arrogant? Well, think about it. When you come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, it means that you recognize that you have done something wrong and that you need forgiven. How hypocritical and arrogant is it of us to deny forgiveness to somebody else when we're just as guilty before Christ as they are, right? So Jesus wants us to pray prayers in which we honestly confess our sin and ask God for forgiveness. But he wants us not only to do this for ourselves, but he wants us to pray for the forgiveness of others. Now listen, I understand that there are situations in life where we may pray prayers of forgiveness for somebody else, but also not re-enter a relationship with them. And I get that. Right, I get that. Right, there's no. I'm not saying that you have to go be all buddy buddy with these people after that. That's not. That's not at all what Jesus is teaching. But but what he's saying is, in no uncertain terms, if you're going to come to God and ask for Him to forgive you, and you are completely unwilling to forgive that other person, then why should He? Right. You don't necessarily have to be in relationship with somebody to forgive them, and to pray for their forgiveness. Remember. Jesus, hang on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Jesus wants us to pray these kinds of prayers because prayers of confession and forgiveness make us gracious. They make us gracious. Think about it. When we pray prayers of confession and forgiveness, we begin the process of taking on the very nature of Christ, which is a forgiving nature. He died to show us forgiveness that we didn't earn. That's what grace is. And so we begin to die to the part of ourselves that wants to hold grudges and hate people that have hurt us because we recognize that we're no better off. Our own confessions prove our need for God's grace and forgiveness, and they ultimately help us better display that grace and forgiveness. Jesus taught us one final type of prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
Jesus teaches us to ask God specifically to keep us away from situations that tempt us to sin and to keep us safe from Satan. Now remember, Jesus is God. He knows each one of us inside and out, and he knows not only that we are tempted, but how we are tempted. He knows the footholds that we have given to Satan in our lives, and he is asking us to pray prayers for protection. Prayers for protection. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you got all ready for work and you were just about to walk out the door and you paused to pray that God would protect you from temptation that day? When was the last time you stopped to pray for God's protection so that he would keep Satan at arm's length all day long? My guess, and this is just a guess, but my guess is that many of you probably haven't ever prayed that prayer, which is crazy. It's crazy. Think about it. Guys, the Bible is clear from front to back that we are in the midst of a spiritual war. We are going to face temptation, sin, and a world in constant rebellion against God every day. And we act like it's no big deal. We act like we can just, ah, get to go through my day. First <laughs> Peter 5.8, Peter says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, circle this word, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, circle the word, devour. Satan is out there constantly looking for ways to pull us into temptation. And you and I are bombarded with tempting words and thoughts and visuals every single day. We cannot afford to be complacent. And yet most of us act that instead of a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour, we look at the devil as if he's a purring kitty cat looking for somebody to cuddle with. That's not smart. We are at war every day, guys. And Peter is clearly showing us why. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Because prayers for protection make us wise. Prayers for protection make us wise. And here's the reason. It's unwise to act as if we don't have an enemy. When we have an enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion looking to lure us into sins that will destroy our relationships and tear up our lives. It's unwise to act as if the world should be a happy and fair place. It's unwise to act as if we have inside of ourselves all the strength and power that we need to overcome temptation. We don't. We don't have it. We can't beat sin and temptation without God's help. We can't protect ourselves from a fallen world. Failing to pray for protection every day is like walking out onto an NFL football field with no pads and no helmet and assuming we're not going to get hurt. It's unwise. But when we pray prayers of protection, guys, we become the kind of people who aren't overconfident. We become a people who recognize our need for God's protection and guidance in dealing with the temptations and difficulties that will ultimately come our way. 
So the Lord's Prayer isn't just one prayer. It's a series of types of prayers. And as we close, I want to point your mind to a couple of, uh, a couple of bottom-line prayer principles that should have come to the surface as we've gone through this lesson. First and foremost, Jesus didn't teach us... Uh, the, the first one is this. A well-rounded prayer life requires all of these prayers. A well-rounded prayer life requires all of these prayers. Jesus didn't teach us to pray these prayers so they could be recited. He taught us to pray these prayers in order to have a balanced prayer life. In order to become the people he's calling us to be, we need these prayers. Unfortunately, for many of us, our prayers boil down to just prayers of need and intercession. That's basically all we talk to God about. Okay, here's what I need, God. Here's what I need. And like a genie, we drop a list of demands on him, and that's all we talk to him. That's, that's not a well-rounded prayer life. You see, God is interested in your needs, and he, and he did teach us to pray for them, but he also taught us to pray prayers of submission, right? Prayers where we look at him and say, you know what, your will be done in this thing that I need or want, instead of what I want. And let's be honest, how likely are you to pray a prayer of submission unless you pray prayers of praise? I mean, honestly, how how likely are you to submit yourself to a God if you don't actually know if he is loving and powerful and good and holy and awesome and strong? You see, you need all of these kinds of prayers to become the person that God has called you to be. You need prayers of confession because you sin. You need prayers for protection because Satan is out there. But secondly, prayers of praise make us who God made us to be. Prayers of praise make us who God made us to be. You guys have all heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? Well, for Christians, you could just as easily say, you are what you pray. You are what you pray. You want to be a a person who worships God, who praises God better with your life? Start praying prayers of praise. You want to be a better servant? Prayers of submission would be good. You want to rely on God in a deeper way? Pray some prayers of need and intercession. Do you want to feel forgiven? Do you want to be more gracious when others sin against you? Try some prayers of confession and forgiveness. Do you want to be wise? Pray for God's protection and wisdom amidst temptation. You see, you are what you pray because prayer can make you who God made you to be. Now, this morning as we close, I want you to check out the next steps box on your outline. The first one is this, to pray prayers like this all week long. In your packet of information, we produced a card for you. It's a large card. I want you to take this all out. It's got the Lord's Prayer on it and all the different types of prayers that we have taught you guys to pray this morning. What I would encourage you to do is to take this home and put it somewhere where you are going to remember it every day, and then pray a prayer, pray prayers like this at least once every single day this week. All right? Just try it. Just experiment with it and see what happens in your life. Secondly, the next step, the, the second next step there is, is, guys, I would really encourage you to be here for every lesson in this series. Because we're going, to, we're going to give you some really practical tools for being able to walk with God. 
So what, what we're going to do before we close this morning is, is we're actually going to do this together. Because I think it's important for us as a church to pray together. So what we're going to do is I'd like you to pull this out and have it in front of you and get, just get real comfortable in your seat. We're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray together. Now, if you're uh, not a Christian this morning, you don't want to participate, please, you don't have to. You don't have to. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to start each section of the Lord's Prayer and pray for a second, and then I'm going to give you 30, 45 seconds to pray your own prayers in each one of these categories. Right? And we as a church are going to pray together. If you would, just get comfortable, and let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, we recognize that there are over a hundred million angels in heaven right now praising you for how good and powerful and awesome you are. And we just want to pray to you right now prayers of gratitude for who you are. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we, we submit ourselves to you today. And we just ask that your kingdom would be built in our lives and in this church. Give us today our daily bread. Father, we recognize our complete and total dependence upon you. And we lift to you now the things that we need and that others who are dear to us need. Forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, we have all sinned. We know what those sins are. And we just place them before you. And we ask your forgiveness for them. And at the same time, Lord, we, we recognize that there are people in our lives who have wronged us. And I pray that you will give us the strength to lift them up to you now and ask that you help us to pray for their forgiveness as well. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we recognize that Satan is real and that we will face many temptations. We ask for your protection from them because we are weak by ourselves, Father. We cannot fight and beat the temptations in our lives. Please, please help us to lay them before you and ask for your protection today. Lord, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. We thank you for forgiving us the way that you have. We thank you for being the awesome and powerful and amazing God that we serve today. We ask that as we, as we come together to raise our voices and sing to you one more time this morning that we would do so with a heart that's full of the prayer that we, the prayers that we have just prayed. Father, that we would be the kind of people that would honor you with our lives and serve you to the very best of our ability. Our Father, you truly are in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, we ask for that. Your will be done, we ask for that on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today what we need, Father. And grant to others the needs that we know of 
and that we're praying for. And lead us not into temptation, Father, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask you to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven those who are indebted to us. For yours truly is the kingdom and yours truly is the power and to you belongs all glory forever and ever and ever. Amen.